Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you all so much for the blessed opportunity you've given us to gather in your house on this beautiful day and be able to get back into your word. Help us now as we continue our studies. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Continuing our Explain the Word series in the book of Acts, if we will turn to Acts chapter 20. We see here as Paul's missionary journey continues, it reads, And after the uproar was ceased, now this uproar was the one that was the group of folks that were upset because that Paul had been preaching the gospel, of course, and the silversmiths were upset because if people turned to the Lord, they would no longer need their molded and crafted God images of Diana, their goddess, and others that they were making. So they were looking at, they were going to lose their career. They were going to lose a lot of money. So they wanted to get rid of Paul and all those that wanted to follow that. And then following that, at the end of a big uproar, the town clerk calmed everybody down, saying you best keep it down because if you don't, we're going to be in trouble, be accountable to this uproar. Because we know that back then the Romans were in charge of the entire area and they would only keep a which you might say a skeleton crew of soldiers in various towns. And if there was any kind of uproar, they would bring in a lot of troops and just kill everybody and then let more pilgrims come in instead. So they were upset, you know, that, hey, this could be a, a problem. Like it says in chapter 19, verse 40, for we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. It calmed him down, and they all went home because they knew that there was really no serious charges against Paul and the others. So we see here in chapter 20, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. There abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Sicodus, and Gaius, and Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Torres. Interesting note here, you see, for us. It's been attributed to Luke as being the author of the book of Acts. And Luke was a very close associate of Paul's. Luke was a physician and traveled with Paul. And it's been assumed or suggested that Paul had some issues, some health issues, as we see later where Paul talks about going to the Lord three times for a healing or for a removal of a burden that he had on him, thorn in his side. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Theme. Some have speculated that maybe it was even an eyesight problem 
or some other health issue that he was dealing with that the Lord hadn't healed him from. Which is very interesting because we see how Paul had been given the opportunity of healing others. The Lord doing the work, of course, but by way of Paul, others were being healed, even risen from the dead. But yet here we have Paul with some kind of a physical affliction that the Lord never healed. You wonder, well, why? Was this to keep him humble? Was this to keep him in need? Was it to keep him down a little bit so that he didn't get too high up and haughty and proud? What was it for? But the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient thee. So then when we have issues like that, we can kind of wonder, well, you healed this, you healed that, you took care of that, but you're still leaving this behind? Why? Well, we don't really know the thoughts of the Lord. We cannot know the lo- all the thoughts of the Lord. They are so far from us, but we just got to trust in Him. There's a reason for it. So that's curious, as I say, where we see this, where it says us. And that may have been Luke that it was speaking of because it's supposed that Luke wrote the book of Acts and that he was with Paul through all these journeys. As it continues, verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them at Torres in five days where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. One long sermon, I tell you, because even after this event we see unfolding here, he goes on throughout the entire night into the next morning. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eticus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. So sitting in that open window, probably get a little cool breeze, fell asleep and fell right out the window. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even till break of day, he departed. So he departed. So we see Paul all through the night, continuing to preach, having a little bit of breaking of the bread, had to take a a meal break there, but continuing to preach right on through the night. Didn't get no sleep. The reason they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So rose that young man from the dead, basically, and he continues on. Gets right back to preaching. And we went before to ship and sailed into Azos, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Azos, we took him in and came to Medellini. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost.
Note here that he wants to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And Pentecost being the feast and celebrations and so forth of the Old Testament that they were still carrying over and still commemorating. But they were all to look forward to the finished work of Jesus Christ. But still they would go back and, and do some of those like we see here. And Pentecost is the day that the Lord blessed all them that were in the upper room with the indwelling spirit of the Holy Ghost. Pentecost was 10 days after the ascension of Jesus Christ and 50 days after Passover. Because Penta is Greek for, um, or even Latin for 50. So it was 50 days. So Pentecost is the 50th day celebration after the Passover. Verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came unto, into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the line and weight of the Jews. And now, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound into the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Like he's known that it's been prophesied, been told even by the way of the Holy Ghost, through others as well, that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he's going to get bound. He's going to be getting arrested. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to re record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the, which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Talking about those infiltrators, the false teachers, the false preachers, the false prophets that want to come in and destroy the, the, the groups from within, the churches and the, the families. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Note, after them. People want to be praised and worship themselves. So they draw people in as being that they are something special and to come follow them. Like he is their shepherd. Come, follow me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Therefore, watch and remember 
that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck, and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Right on into chapter 21. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coas. And the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara, and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went abroad and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and sailed into Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlade her burden." Unlaid her burden, basically unload the, the supplies, the, the shipment of goods that was on that ship. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he sh- should not go up to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished, excuse me, and when he had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day we that were at Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip and the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. It's interesting here that we see Philip and such a godly family and the reference to the women the virgins, four of them, that were prophesying. Noting how the Lord has used Philip's family here, and especially his daughters. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his hand, his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. See, once again, being clearly prophesied and told to him that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound. 
And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep or to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Manasin of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. Not sure which James this is, because there were so many of them. This may have been James, the half-brother of Jesus, or it may have been one of the other Jameses. But we know this was not James, the brother of John, because by this time he had already been killed. Verse 19, And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses' saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. See, on up there in verse 20 again, where it says, Jews that are very, that are, excuse me, Jews that are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law, the law, Mosaic law, still trying to keep the Old Testament over into the New Testament times. Now we know that when Paul hooked up with Timotheus, one of the first things he did was have Timotheus circumcised. So here he's getting accused of not having people get circumcised. So what's going on here? Are they saying, yes, it's good to be circumcised, or no, it's not good to be circumcised? It was a specific reason that Paul encouraged Timothy to be circumcised. Timothy was half Jew and half Greek. So with the Jew side, he was encouraging him to do that. But with the Greek side, if he was all Greek, he would have said, no, it wouldn't be necessary. And he wanted Timothy to be able to go out and to be able to be a pastor, be a preacher, be an evangelist, and not have any kind of a barrier of other people when they look at him. No stumbling block for them. So he did that in order to remove that stumbling block so that even the Jews would come to Timothy and think, okay, he's one of us because he's been circumcised. And then they could find out that even though he had done that, it isn't dependent that you do it. You're not, you're not bound by the Mosaic law. Let's read 21 again. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children need to walk after their customs. But we have no record of Paul telling the Jews not to do that. But we do have a record of him telling the Greeks that they didn't need to do it. 
So what was the difference? Tradition versus what you really have to do according to the, the gospel. The Lord does not command us to be circumcised in the New Testament. But He does command us to be circumcised spiritually. Because the whole process of circumcision in the Old Testament was a symbol of the obedience to the covenant a contract of the Lord. And it was a cutting away of flesh. So in the New Testament time, the cutting away of flesh is spiritual reference. That you are removing the flesh and that you are becoming spiritual. The acts of the Old Testament covenants, statutes, ordinances, and so forth were symbolic of things to come, representing spiritual things to come, representing the arrival of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the ultimate price that He paid, all those things, all the things of the tabernacle, the decorations, the furniture, everything was all preparing people to see what was going to be fulfilled, that they could literally see and have around them. And then when the Lord fulfilled all of the Old Covenant, all the Old Testament, all those statutes then became void. They became fulfilled. They did not need to go over into the New Testament. If they chose to do those as some way of, of celebration or of tradition or of, of a way of reaching others, there was nothing wrong with doing them. But they were no longer con- were amongst the commandments and statutes commanded of the Lord. That's what Paul was teaching them. But they were thinking that he was teaching them that, no, you cannot do that and you should not do that. Well, it's okay to do it if you want to do it, but don't think it's going to get you any points with the Lord. That's just to make yourself feel better and others around you feel better, which is no problem. Because the Lord's looking at what is inside, not what is outside. As it continues in verse 22, What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things Whereof they are informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. Now, this vow is like what Paul had previously done. Cutting his hair off and then burning it at the altar as a form of a devotion, a dedication even, a vow of thanksgiving or a vow of dedicating or declaring that they were going to do something. Here was, they were taking a vow of commitment. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. The Old Testament statutes. Save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. As we know, they gather together and come up with that conclusion before. Why they chose these, there's a lot of speculation on why they chose these. It's obvious fornication, 
But the others, the don't eat anything that's been strangled or don't anything, eat anything that still has the blood in it. Those would have been things that could have been suggested in the Old Testament for health reasons. But they also had spiritual references looking forward to Jesus Christ and how precious blood was. You shouldn't consume it in such a way because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And of course, fornication, the physical fornication, but this is also spiritual fornication because when you cheat on the Lord is when you are turned into another God, either yourself or something you've lifted up more important than God. That's fornication. That's adultery, spiritual adultery and spiritual fornication. But why they chose these and then only said these and picked up none of the others, uh, that you'd have to speculate on yourself as why. They just want to, okay, we'll give you these simple things. If you do those, then that shows your commitment. Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification unto until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. Now they're upset that Paul's in the temple. Why? You see, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. Well, he didn't bring Greeks in there. Those that came with him, over in verse 23, we have four men which have a vow on them. Now these four men were Jews, not Greeks, because they were fulfilling some of the old covenant ways. So here he is once again falsely accused of something. For they had seven before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Notice, supposed that he had brought him with him, but he hadn't. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and took, they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, Tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Like, okay, the Romans are here, we better get out of here. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried at one thing some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. They had to carry him because they had beaten him so severely. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee, who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Paul could speak Greek because Paul was a Roman. 
and a Pharisee, because him, like Timothy, was of that bloodline of both Jew and Greek. Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days madest an uproar and leadest out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when they, there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew language, saying... And in chapter 22, we see what he tells them. He gives them a good little sermon here, which they completely reject, of course. But he's at least having his say. And in such a way there that they had to all stand there and wait until he said what he needed to say. And then we see him getting arrested and going into some further tribulation. But let's close here. We'll pick it up 22 next time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the opportunity you've given us to be able to get into some of the history here, some of the things that Paul had to go through. And we see some of the things that we have to go through is nothing compared to what Paul had to do. And help us all have the courage that he shows here to be able to stand right up in the face of all that danger and to keep on doing what you have in store for him to do, as we need to as well. Thank you so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.